You're listening to Arc Radio Podcast. Assalamualaikum, listeners, and welcome to our show in conversation with. This is quite a new show to Radio Ramadan. I think this is just the second year, so it's quite a baby show. But in the show, we have two sets of couples, and we basically have a wee chit chat about uh, things, uh, everyday life, family life, coupledom, parenting, that kind of thing. So, inshallah, we've got uh, two sets of couples here for your our, your host. That's myself and my lovely husband. What's your name, husband? Husband Shahid. <laughs> and our guests today are, guys, you want to introduce yourself? I'm uh, Nazim Gary, and most people are familiar with my voice and probably sick of it. I'm Lubna Gauri. Okay, okay. And uh, we are so, this is supposed to be quite informal chit chat, but we are so relaxed that we don't even have our mics plugged in, mashallah. Um, and I was going to say, uh, so today's topic is actually about uh, it's a parenting topic and it's about creating a balanced le- learning environment for your children. But, but before we kind of jump into that, I was going to say you know this is quite informal chit chat uh, amongst two couples and we're actually friends anyway, so it's going to be quite relaxed. Uh, and it, it would be the kind of situation where if I wasn't fasting, I'd probably have my cappuccino with me to sip on. So we're going to go around to everybody, and you can tell me what your beverage of choice is if if you weren't fasting today. Nazim, start with you. Mm, certainly isn't a bud. Um, to be honest, I don't actually have a beverage of choice now that the sugar tax has come into play. Uh, water just seems the most logical uh, answer to everything because it's the same amount of calories as stuff you pay money for. So iron brew is too expensive now. No, because iron brew doesn't come full fat. If iron brew came in full fat, it's iron brew. Coke comes in full fat. I mean, the kala shaitan will never be beaten. Uh, but uh, I know people that used to be iron brew drinkers have not. They've stopped iron brew and just gone to Coke now. Yeah. Well, to be honest. The way I see it, the beverage is there, okay, it's, it's there to kind of provide a bit of a flavour for something, but if it's got zero calories, then why pay for it? Right, you're boring. Right, Lubna, on to you. What's your beverage of choice, Lubna? But you have to admit that you do drink your Ferrarache milkshake. Oh, this yeah, that's fine. That's, that's, that's full fat. That's, that's not beverage, though. That's a dessert. I know that, that is just, that's regarded as being full fat, I <laughs> Any measure of... I mean, engage. It's a bit like a craving sometimes that uh, drives Naza, you. Nazam, it's all coming out now. No, no. Did I mention that he's no. a diabetic consultant, people? No, I'm a diabetes consultant. I Sorry. don't have diabetes. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, diabetes consultant. I apologise, Dr. Gary. Lubna, <laughs> what is your drink? or? Uh, I would have had uh, maybe a cafe latte. Mm, nice. Talk about your fair rush as well. Milky, milky. <laughs> It's going to be okay. a Incredibly sophisticated already here, Nazam. Cafe latte. What? Right, Shahid, what about you? Beverage of choice? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it would be a cappuccino. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've been caffeine-free this Ramadan, mashallah. Very good. Well done. Well done to you both. Especially Shahid, actually, he's a bit of an addict. Mm-hmm. It comes it's all coming out now, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> no holes barred, false cut anywhere. Let's right. not let it all come out. So let's move on. Then, Shahid, do you want to introduce the topic that we're chatting about today? Yes, yes, well... Today's topic um, is about, of course, um, the learning journeys of children. Um, so as parents, we want to ensure that our kids have the, the best sort of learning in life and that they grow up to be well-defined young adults and they get r- rounded life experience. Um, so, you know, when should you start planning for your, your, the learning journey of your child? Um, do you leave it just to the schools? Um, do you leave it to, to after-school madrasas? So I'll do this job for you. Um, or is it important for the parents to be involved? Um, today we'll be talking to both Nazim and Lubna um, to explore this topic um, get a bit more detail about how they're doing it and um, what they think um, and having five children between both of us couples 
we'll discuss how, how kind of both both sets have, have tried to create a positive and balanced learning environment for the kids. Um, and so, why don't you guys start by telling us about your family, your kids? Um, um, would you do? How old are your kids? You know, kind of what stage of school are they at? Right. Okay. So between we've got two children, alhamdulillah. Well, we've got what two point eight or something. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so uh, our oldest is eight. Uh, our uh, youngest is four, uh, and a point eight is point eight. And um, uh, I, by profession, as you, most people know, are I'm a, I'm a consultant in diabetes, endocrinology, general medicine. I'm also one of the deputy heads of the medical school at Glasgow University, and also uh, have research uh, and teaching involvement at the university as well uh, in a senior honorary senior lecturer capacity. Uh, and Lubna can tell you about herself. Oh, you can. I'm just a junior doctor I'm a trainee in psychiatry doing my uh, core training in uh, Lavendale Hospital So basically she can uh, section you if you misbehave <laughs> And you Nazim Yeah I know but then, she won't get but then the salary will be cut So All junior doctors, all doctors can section so you can do that as well I can section too Of yeah. course you can And you're, you're on maternity leave just now Lubna are you? Uh, not yet, inshallah. So I'll just go on maternity leave next month. Oh, excellent. Okay. I work part-time, so I work three days a week. Okay. Okay, excellent. Um, I, actually, it's quite... Uh, you're the kind of situation you're in just now with your pregnancy. When you when you were... Actually, no, let's go back before you were married. Did you think about what kind of parent should be? Did you have a think about um, that before marriage? You can go first. I would say from... Uh, from my side, it is uh, I had nothing whatsoever about, uh, you know, and I've never thought about how I would be a parent and things. I think, but Nazim was always a good planner, so he must have planned something, <laughs> even before marriage. So, Nazim, did you have a plan before marriage on what kind of, how you would want to raise your kids? I think I'd be lying if I said uh, no. Uh, and part of it just comes back to the fact that one thing I learned very early on in life is that to be organised and to plan... Uh, is something that is essential if you want to get anywhere in life but more importantly it is actually from the sunnah as well uh, and one thing that has been reiterated over the years subsequent to marriage and uh, going through parenthood is the fact that uh, Sheikh Ravana often says that to belittle kind of like to only rely on the self is to belittle Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to belittle planning is to belittle the sunnah so the whole point is to balance this concept of obviously knowing that things are always going to be out with your control, but we have to follow some of planning. So the two go hand in hand. Therefore, I've always been one who believes in that concept of planning with the understanding that if it doesn't happen in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which is better, whether it's in this life or hereafter, whether it's to make us better individuals. And in that way, I've never been disappointed when I haven't necessarily got or achieved something through the route I expected to achieve it. So when it comes to raising children specifically, what kind of plans did you have? I think for me, I can, Lubna can say this, I always wanted like twin girls at the start, just because of a good company for each other, especially in an environment where we bring people up in this part of the world where it's very difficult, especially for sisters and girls to be brought up. So I thought having a natural com- uh, company from the beginning, from the family, is the safest. Uh, but alhamdulillah, the two daughters that we do have are very close to each other, even though they're four years in age uh, apart. Uh, and I think that's just the blessing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he still fulfilled that aspect, even though he kept a, a gap between them. I think it's very important to realise that time passes very quickly. We don't realise how quickly time passes. We think, oh, it's weeks, months, mm-hmm. years down the line. But the reality is 
we can remember our childhood very quickly, uh, so very clearly, and this shows you how quickly time's passed. Uh, so for me, it's always been a case of trying to think, okay, you're in an environment where you're going to be up against it in some ways, uh, so what would be the best ideal situation to create for your children to come into? So that's how I've always been thinking about things from day one. So even before marriage, you, you had those sort of thoughts? Yeah, I think at the end of the day, you, you, in the same way, we're a reflection of our parents. I mean, they say the apples don't fall far from the tree, and the last thing you want is rotten apples. So you want to be able to uh, be uh, as uh, forward-thinking as possible. In the same way, our parents invested in us. A lot of the investment for some parents was actually before the children were born, in terms of when should we have children, for example, simple things like that, before anything else. And because, obviously, being born and raised here in a profession that I was going into, I had to be, you have to be one step ahead because you know yourself as a junior doctor, days, nights all become one thing, and before you know it, you've completed two, three years of work, and where are you? You're, you just don't realise where time's gone. So as a medical student, I was always thinking, it's all about children at the end of the day, because it's easy to get married, have a relationship, when you, especially when you're studying away from home. You're in a profession where the majority of your colleagues are female anyway. There's no choi- uh, shortage of choice or whatever. So you have, to be, sure. you have to be clear in terms of what your, your principles, otherwise it's very easy to slide in the slippery pole of university life. Did you guys actually have these conversations then when you were considering each other for marriage about raising kids? Did that kind of come into it in any way? I think it was kind of implicit. It was, under, it was kind of just something that... Not as far as I can remember. <laughs> Did you discuss, oh, how many, you know, how many kids do you want? And do you want a boy or a girl? Before marriage? Yeah, yeah well, oh, when you were considering you having, you know, those talks, did so, that come up? I don't know if uh, I introduced myself saying, I mean, uh, I didn't say this, but I am, uh, I'm not kind of a more desi girl, I'm from India, and I came here after marriage, so I was born, not born and brought up here, so I haven't, I'm a bit more conservative upbringing, so uh, that uh, thought would be even ah, not even entertained. Okay, of course, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, she learned fast after marriage. After marriage, there was no holds barred, as they say. <laughs> uh, I'm sure you you taught her well, Nazim. Yeah, well, she. I mean, yeah. I mean, Urban Dictionary is a is a good source. Yeah, but you're right. I guess um, Lubna, in, in that culture, those are the kind of questions that you know it wasn't. It's not really as acceptable to be having those sort of discussions before you're even married, which is quite. But did, so you didn't say to her. Oh, by the way, I want twin girls at that stage. I mean, the thing is, it was all for me. It was simple. I said when I was thinking about getting married, I thought you want somebody who's going to be a good uh, mother of your children. I mean, a good spouse is easy. A mother of children is harder. If you think about it, if you look at the, I mean, coming back again to our own Islamic heritage, they always talk about the four greatest women in Islam, and the thing that linked them all was motherhood, not necessarily mm-hmm. being a wife. It was being a mother, uh, because when it comes to being a mother. You've uh, you've also got a relationship with your husband, but you've also your car- you've got this investment that's going to last beyond you. Uh, and the thing is, with with lots of uh, relationships as well, not all spouses live to the same age. One spouse may li- live this world before the other. So motherhood or fatherhood is actually a far harder thing because you could be left to carry the uh, uh, the asset afterwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, so w- although it wasn't implicitly talked about before marriage, I think after marriage we realised. We used to talk about this stuff anyway because we were talking about family planning and especially when you're a junior doctor moving around and she's a doctor and she was sitting in exams, you have to have one eye on terms of like, well, obviously the career side of things, mm. but the other eye obviously on kind of like what goes on out with work. And if you don't think about it, then one or the other is going to uh, suffer. 
Yeah, yeah, it's all about planning. But but the other question is not obviously not just the having kids and how many do you want and planning them, but in terms of educating the children, did you have any preconceived ideas of what kind of education they would have? And especially with you coming from um, a different culture and different educational system, what did you imagine? How did you imagine your kids would be educated? Obviously, in, in terms of secular education and Islamic education. Yeah, because uh, being in India all, all my life, I have you know known that UK is a developed country, and uh, obviously have a high expectation when it comes, excuse me, <clears throat> to education. So obviously that I would have thought about my kids also having good education, and uh, never never had that worry that you know oh whether they because in India you have to you, it's all private schooling, so you always have to choose. Uh, pick and choose it's, it's on like you know which school you want to send your kids to and things and you weigh up uh, all all the like fields whether it's good for them financially how it is how is it very expensive and things like that but here it is uh, all it's free and uh, it's all de- dependent on what catchment area you are and stuff so because Nazim had, uh, he, him and his uh, siblings they they studied in the same school as now uh, my children are studying and alhamdulillah they have all achieved very well in alhamdulillah so uh, from the start i didn't have that worry mm. that i would have had if i was in india if you were in india it reminds me of a conversation we had with some malaysian friends of ours they're from malaysia and we were comparing the education system there compared to here and the kids get up super early you know fudge your time and they're out the door um, they come back home and then they've got the Islamic schooling which lasts hours and you know it's it's very very rigorous and it's very highly academic uh, it doesn't give them much time to do anything else whereas I think here I, our kids have it relatively easier when it comes to secular education they have a lot more free time and it's a lot more relaxed I mean there's not it, there's obviously good points and bad points but I, I think Malaysia is similar to India Pakistan in terms of the the education is a lot more rigorous Oh yes, definitely. Yeah. We, we uh, remember we used to have heavy bags, yeah. uh, which isn't the case that here. Oh, you're so short now. <laughs> <laughs> whatever. Um, yeah, whatever. Yeah. So obviously, I think uh, we are going to discuss down the line about private schooling. But sometimes I do think about that. You know, whether when I hear people uh, that some of um, the, the friends we know send the children to private schools, uh, it does stuck to my mind whether. Uh, sending them to non-private school is it uh, is it going to be good enough? But obviously, uh, every time I have this thought, I speak to Nazim about it, and then he like you know says to me that it doesn't really matter which school the kids go to. It all depends on them, which I also understand because um, I don't go. I I didn't go to a very high-profile school either, but uh, managed to score high high marks and uh, get into university and things so at the end is it not easy to say that if they're in a in a good area it's good the catchment schools just happen to be good so state schools in your area are generally good is it not easy to say oh it doesn't matter what school they go to depends on the child if that is the case well i think what i meant by that was obviously how you a parent understands their child's ability from early on if they're switched on and engage with their children and there's always this argument is it nature or nurture that leads to somebody getting to where they get to and I've got adequate numbers of friends, colleagues, juniors, seniors who've been to very, very humble secondary schools and achieved. I mean, one of my brother's classmates from medical school, he went to the school across the road from Glasgow, sorry, from Glasgow Royal and he was the first person to get into medical school in 50 years or first person to get five A's in 50 years and he's now a vascular surgeon in Newcastle and he's from a Sudanese background. So, and the one thing I've always said to Lubna is that, look, whoever goes on a school, that's a maximum of six, seven hours of a child's life. That's not even one third of their 
their time. It's the other two thirds of our time, logically speaking, that's probably more important. Uh, so, if clearly there's a situation where the school is not very good and they're being exposed to, this, then you have to. We as parents have to make a judgment call, and that's why you obviously try and live in an area which is conducive to better schooling. And if that's not possible, then you have to say, okay, how can I fix that? Is that does that is that through tuition? Is that through paying extra and sending to a better school? But remember, that's only one aspect. That's only the education aspect. That education and manners and therapy are not all the same thing. Mm, no, absolutely. Yeah. We'll come back to that. But just I wanted to ask if. if you, before you had the children or even with, with your first child but did you always know that they would go through the kind of traditional secular education or did you consider homeschooling at, at any point or would you consider homeschooling at any point no I don't think uh, we would we never thought about it from the start and uh, uh, I think it's good if the child goes to a school and gets exposed to other children and uh, gets that um uh, discipline, which I think would uh, be hard to get at home, and obviously with us working, it would be near mm-hmm. impossible to uh, carry that out, especially when there are um, facilities available to us to facilitate this. Okay, have you, have you, um, after your your first child, sort of, um, you've, you've, you know, would would you feel you sort of learned and, and changed from that with regards to your second child so after you you started with your first child going to actually going to primary school and then you know you've got your you've got your, you've got your yourself your routine with them and the things you try which, which way would you have adapted that for your second child i think a lot of it depends on the actual personality of the child as well uh they, they, they can have very different personalities in terms of how they respond to a situation um i don't i mean i as an individual love not tell you this i'm a very consistent person i haven't changed in terms of how I approach each child at, uh, at each stage of their development, uh, and I think one thing I've always said, and you know, this yeah, but you become consistent. But uh, you know, your experience teaches you as you go along, and the way you were in your twenties is not the way you are now. So, in terms of experience, and you know, when you have your first child, I know for me and Shai, there's a huge learning mm. curve. You know, we let we 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 learnt things that we didn't even expect that we would be learning and in terms of how we educate and how we t- teach Derbia and the Islamic mm-hmm. kind of education has changed I would say over, over the years and with each child it's, it, we've adapted it I mean it's difficult it's one of those things that you just maybe reflect on that there probably were changes but at the time I didn't think actively oh this is different to how we did it with the Iman or whatever for example when um, we started off with a kind of more traditional Islamic education mm-hmm. um, structure where I was sending them to classes oh, right, okay. and that that changed with me having gained more Islamic knowledge mm-hmm. but also realising that I was spending a lot of time taking them shipping them back and forth and they weren't getting much quantity or quality in these classes so you know now I spend a lot less time and they're getting the same amount of education if not more yeah. at home so that those are things uh, I learned yeah. with time so I mean what we did and I said this to Lubna when we were before we had children was that I said I insisted that Lubna learnt Tajweed uh, to high standard she learnt from uh, Sheikh Amr's wife because I wanted the children to learn to read Quran mm-hmm. at home because that's what I went through whereas Lubna went through the traditional Indian way of either going to madrasa or someone coming to the house, a sab coming, if you like, and uh, going through it. And I was not for that. I, I've, I've always said from day one when it's come to education, out with the kind of school environment, is that your first teachers are your parents. And, and to be honest, if you look at Islamic and sacred knowledge learning, a lot of students studied with their parents, and if they didn't get what they needed from the parents, that's when they went out with the family. So I was keen for as much of the Islamic side of things to be in-house, 
And when you got to a stage where obviously things were needed to be expanded or specialists or whatever, that's when you start going elsewhere. Because as you say, the time thing, when you're doctors and you're driving around, you're working maybe 20, 30 miles from where your, your flat or your house is, every minute is valuable. Mm. So spending 10, 15 minutes with your child is better than spending half an hour spreading either way and an hour leaving them there. You've gained yourself one hour, 45 minutes for other things. So I guess, uh, you know, we're talking about homeschooling. You are homeschooling. From an Islamic sense. perspective, From an Islamic yes. perspective. How do you structure that in a day-to-day? How, where does that all fit in into your routine? Obviously, I have to admit that it uh, doesn't happen on a regular basis. And Nazim sometimes is a bit annoyed that uh, Afia is not getting enough of her Arabic lessons. It's just uh, with her swimming lesson and then when I'm working as well and with my syllabus, of course, uh, it, it sometimes uh, we're running... Um, uh, we're not as regular as we should be, and, uh, and do you, do you try to do a little bit daily, or is it kind of once a week? So at Roughly least how much? at least once a week, but uh, we try and do more. And uh, sometimes it can be even up to three times a week, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, ideally, it should be at least uh, every alternate day. But uh, whenever we do get that chance, Alhamdulillah, Afia, she makes sh- sure that she sits down with me and. Uh, and uh, she understands the seriousness of that and we always try to reiterate that to her and uh, so that uh, she understands why we're doing this and uh, why are we so serious about it so is that with the Jweed and Islamic studies uh, so at the fo- at the moment we're just focusing on Quran because uh, she's eight years old now, mashallah. So uh, just uh, she started uh, reading uh, reciting the Quran now and uh, so I think at the moment that's uh, the focus but uh, she also reads uh, some of the hadith studies uh, books and things and we also during during meal times we discuss uh, as well with her you know all the basics of our religion about the five pillars of Islam okay. as well as okay. I mean to be fair she has had Islamic studies because she can pray independently so that is Islamic studies at the end of the day okay. I mean she has been from primary one onwards she has been praying Four, three to five times a day and going so and she does it independently we don't supervise sure. our state Masha. I mean, you, you saw her Umrah yourself I don't we don't kind of like sit and watch yeah yeah Masha. She, 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 she's the only kid that comes and reads Drawi Mashallah you know but, well other two girls my <laughs> our daughter and daughter's younger though to be fair so and you know they, they'll be colouring in and Mashallah Afi will be saying they're doing her Drawi um, so I guess your, your teaching is everyday practical yeah, exactly. through action yeah but what I picked up on there was at dinner time you make a point of talking about something or another. Is that pre-planned or is it just whatever comes up? Whatever comes up. I mean, we start, we say Bismillah. Uh, and that's the thing. I, one thing I've always sat with Afia is to do as much dhikr as possible informally. And I firmly believe the more dhikr you do, the more the insight of a person gets kind of sharper and gets more attuned with the... How do you do that? For, again, p- practically, how do you incorporate that? I think because we do it. So when I, we, one thing I've always done from the beginning is we pray at least one j- uh, salah and jama'ah at home. Mm. At least one. So I don't go... I mean, we'll say, OK, salah time, but often they'll be ready for me. They'll have the, the musallah uh, uh, spread facing qibla. And it's not a burden or tour for them because we go to our wudu. It's second nature. It's just like eating. It's like yeah. playing. It's just, and just like an everyday thing. Yeah. And they know that afterwards I'll sit down and do my dhikr and she'll do the same. And Afia has her set routine of dhikr that she does when she wakes up and after every salam when she goes to bed. And she and she knows that I'll ask her about it. And she knows it's not something that's explicit or exclusive to her because mum and daddy do it as well. Mm-hmm. So, I, I think that's really important, the fact that 
obviously, you know, they need to see the parents praying and doing the Quran and doing all those things. That's the only way they yeah, exactly. realise so this is that everyday thing and it's not a special occasion type of thing. But the, the other thing that it comes to mind is when they see parents learning, I think that's really important. Yeah. So the fact that you guys are both going to iSyllabus classes or doing your Quran. And with us, uh, we have actually started coming to the house to teach our boys and I sit with them as with them so I'm doing my tajweed at the same time as they are so they very much understand that the learning never stops it's always kind of a constant thing and I think they see that as well from the secular side because we're both doctors and I've finished my exams and things but when Afia was a couple of years old I used to take her with me to the university when I used to do my research and do my thesis working and she would just simply sit in a chair next to me while I kind of typed away or did whatever and what I did was I kind of sat her down, but I didn't, I didn't introduce YouTube to her yet. I let her kind of sit and just have the discipline of sitting there and just being around and understanding daddy's doing work and getting a feel of the environment. And then I kind of said, okay, you can watch YouTube. And then, so the point was that when she watched YouTube, she knew that, okay, YouTube's like an extra thing. It's not something that I expect when I come to... Wow. You normally can't get... Only can't get kids to actually sit still for well, I've, I've got, time with a YouTuber. So all my colleagues were like, "Wow, well, how do you do this?" Because they used to come in sometimes and see her sitting there. And now the thing, because when you're a doctor or when you work, you're doing whatever, you've got such an involving work environment. Dad did the same with me. You'd go with them to work. It's not it's not the same as going to a shop or going to a cash and carry, but you're still getting exposed to your parents' work environment. And even just the other day, because obviously Dad's unwell in the hospital, I had Iman with me because Lubna was working and she'd come with Gran. I took her. I went upstairs, took her from Dad and Mum, and just took her down with me. I had to do, I had to attend, do a little th- few things like have the huddle and stuff with the junior doctors and stuff. And she just walked around with me. Mm-hmm. While we did all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, how, how old is the man? Four. Four. Uh, the aim of the second half of the show is to allow Shahid to speak more, because the last time we did the show, <laughs> my mum told me off for not allowing him to speak. And her cousin. And my cousin too. My mum and my cousin told me off. And my sisters. No, I'm kidding. And shy himself. And people that know him know that that cannot be true. That's not the case at all. Is it, guys? I'm not stopping him from speaking, am I? <laughs> right. Let's let's try this, Lucia. Okay. Okay. okay let, so we 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 were talk, We were just started talking about your four-year-old daughter, uh-huh. who's obviously kind of preschool stage. Um, you have a bit of a more formal structure with your older daughter who's eight years old but how does Iman who's younger preschool, nursery age, how does she fit into it all? Has she got any formal structure? Does she go to nursery? What's her secular education like and also in her home environment? What kind of balance, how do you get the balance? Alhamdulillah I must say that Iman um, uh, we're really blessed to have Iman because she is very very I mean she is very intelligent and she picks up mm. uh, on things very quickly and uh, as we were discussing during that break as well and uh, uh, so it's very easy to you know it, it's just like uh, she's like a sponge she just absorbs everything and uh, she's constantly constantly um, keeping an eye on her uh, big sister and uh, making sure that uh, she's not left out or she's she's not uh, uh, or or I should say that uh, she she's always given the priority over her which uh, can be a struggle sometimes especially Afia uh, feels let down and then uh, we have to you know make sure that she's not feeling that way but again it's it's difficult it is very difficult I must say because it was much easier with the just Afia just around one, yeah. but uh, with the two of them we have to make sure that you know well, good luck with the three then Lufna uh, no <laughs> Alhamdulillah don't even talk about it Saira I can't even um, I can't even uh, 
think about those days now but uh, inshallah may allah make give it make it easy for inshallah i mean i mean you also make dua for me inshallah okay so coming back to the topic so uh, yeah so alhamdulillah iman goes to nursery she goes uh, she goes to, uh, in the afternoons inshallah she'll be going in the mornings from next year and uh, she alhamdulillah we have our in-laws uh, around uh, who stay very close by to us so they help uh, with childcare when i'm working and uh, with the pick up and drop off uh, we try and arrange between us uh, at the moment as uh, you heard my father-in-law is in hospital so my mother-in-law does uh, the pick up uh, the school run basically She the kids. She does for Iman more than Afiyatul. And uh, yeah, and uh, Nazim, Alhamdulillah, he he is uh, he is able to do most of the uh, drop-offs as well as uh, pickups uh, with uh, with uh, being more flexible in his job. Uh, Alhamdulillah, at the moment, uh, so so it's it's going well that way. But uh, also coming to uh, the home environment, Alhamdulillah, we are we are uh, we are lucky to have. Uh, um, even uh, elderly people in the house with my mother-in-law's uh, mom uh, in the house and uh, iman understands that you know she's also being looked after and she has to be cared for uh, so you can she's getting that there be a yeah so yeah, she yeah so yeah so mm-hmm. so we so like you know we give her like especially because it's upstairs and downstairs my mother-in-law like sometimes will say to her uh, just uh, see if dadia is eating her food and things so mm-hmm. she she goes and ha- has a peek and then actually sometimes she says to her come on eat your food like you know uh, because uh, sometimes she forgets to eat and things like that uh, so 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 that way she, she and uh, obviously with her grandparents at home because uh, when i'm working we usually tend to stay there so uh, she's getting that good balance of uh, the senior generation as well as uh, the younger generation and uh, she constantly is uh, obviously we may note that she's making note of things and you know it's really alhamdulillah it's uh it really makes us uh, praise allah subhanahu wa taala how uh, how he makes the children uh, grasp all these things we know mm-hmm. and they learn automatically how uh, how the upbringing is it's so mm-hmm. so so important to have a good upbringing and good environment at home mm-hmm. to have that positive impact on them absolutely and i think we, it's important what you uh, it's really interesting what you mentioned about having elders in the family i think what kids learn having elders is something we can never give them unless it's there um and we we've our, our kids have been blessed they've they've had time with both sets of grandparents uh, and recently she's mom passed away unfortunately and may allah give her jannah inshallah but she used to come and stay with us for weekends and holidays and and that was you know the, the experience they have in terms of having their their grand staying with them they can't get in any, any, with anything else in terms of learning to do you know adapt with elders even language you know because my daughter Rukaya she was picking up Punjabi she she could understand simple simple Punjabi and we've really done a really terrible job of teaching our kids Urdu or Punjabi we've really lacked in that regards um but i i very much thought because Rukaya had that one to one time with her daddy she was actually learning Punjabi mm-hmm. um and uh, our, our boys the eldest has had um a lot of time with my parents because my parents looked after them when they were young so he he can he's got a good grasp of Urdu in the sense that he understands that he can speak basic uh, Urdu but the middle child unfortunately yes yusuf he's watching us mm-hmm. through the window yusuf can't speak or understand Urdu or Punjabi sure he knows the swear words and that's what counts <laughs> <laughs> how have you guys got along with with doing the bilingual thing you know is that something you focus on i you pick it up i mean well, lubna has a bit more urdu significantly more urdu experience than i do although i did urdu schooling here 
uh, but obviously Lubna being born and raised in India, Urdu becomes a natural language at home, the way we use English perhaps. Uh, so they get spoken to in both languages. Uh, they they'll, Their preference is obviously English. But Iman tries with the Urdu thing with my grandmother, uh, just because that's how she, she understands English. Don't get me wrong, my grandmother could play Scrabble with me when I was a child. Uh, in English but uh, she still because of her dementia things Urdu is a much easier language for her uh, so she just makes, she tries her in her own way to try and understand things she understands and that's one thing with Iman that I've noticed is that she's someone who picks something up without you having to tell her mm-hmm. like she, she sees patterns and things mm-hmm. uh, and, and even when it comes to praying and stuff she, she knows what I'm going to do next a lot mm-hmm. of the time and that makes my job a lot easier because I don't need to say do this, do that she's already ready for me or she knows that after she'll get my tasbih for me after salah I don't ask her to get my tasbih she'll go looking for it because mm-hmm. she knows I do zikr mm-hmm. and these things alhamdulillah are a blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala I didn't ask for this mm-hmm. and nor would I expect it but khair if that's the barakah that Allah brings out of trying to fulfill the sunnah at home then so be it I'm not going to say no to it what about the influence of family? We've already spoke to obviously about elders being in the family, but have your family, extended family, had any influence when it comes to their learning in other ways? And I, I, the reason I'm asking is because I remember a story from uh, Umrah. We, we, were, we had the fortune to spend time together uh, in Umrah together. And I remember Afia was being quizzed by uh, one of our other friends, Dr. Aman Durani, on parts of the body. And Masha, she was like, she was like an anatomy book. You know, she was lit t- teaching us, I think. Now, where did the, how did that happen? And so, my younger brother is also uh, a doctor. He's a rheumatology registrar down south. He's the same age as Ahmad Mahmoud, and I was in medical school with him, for example. Uh, so, uh, when my brother was going through his finals, um, Afia was uh, a toddler and my brother used to practice doing examinations on her <laughs> and, 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 and explain things so she would actually go and bring the tendon hammer after some time because she knows this, this is good fun uh, and so he should learn and plus I guess we're in an environment because remember my dad was a doctor and he did that with me he used to do paperwork like doing his like record stuff and he would bring it home and I would sit down with a piece of paper and scribble down so paperwork was this thing that was kind of brought up with house visits because he used to look after his own practice when I was mm-hmm. in my primary school years and uh, so, and dad retired just about when kind of Iman was, sorry, Afia was born and stuff. So he still had a bit. In fact, he was doing his, he was doing the, some of the practice accounts and stuff. So she actually had scribbled in the checkbook without my dad realizing. And my mom told my dad, obviously, you shouldn't leave things lying about uh, just because your own children don't do that now. You, you've, you've got grandchildren around. So that environment has always been there. And I think that's one of the things I won't hide the fact. Yes, we are probably a very academic family. Um, my brother's a doctor, my sister's done her PhD. She's working down in, in Newcastle as a postdoc. My mother's educated as well. She's got a degree in science, a diploma in French, and both her brothers are, are doctors. And even on my dad's side of the family, there's people who are engineers, doctors, etc. So we do have a very yeah, kind of academic environment, but we don't force the academia. It's just something that's there. And, we, and a lot of it's quite fun because we have like, funny conversations about stuff at work. I saw at a dinner table from what my brother was at medical school and when then obviously the, the stuff that you do at work that you get up to and things. So they, they're exposed to that. And a lot of your or your social circle are doctors as well so you're in that environment all the time and the books are lying there they'll pick up the books and I remember Afi had to take a book on the body uh, and she took my anatomy book from medical school and, <laughs> <laughs> and she was like she was fascinated by it and the teacher was like are you not like, put off by all this like these like pre-sected bodies yeah. and she was like no um, well, I'm sitting here, I mean, with, with three doctors, so maybe this is the wrong question to ask, but do you think the kids could be exposed to too much learning, perhaps? At a young age, maybe, 
Maybe people are overdoing it. What about the, the expectations of being, of like learning Quran after school and things like this as Except well? We, we don't force. Yeah, I mean, with the exception of, as Lubna mentioned, sitting down with the Quran side of things two or three times a week, there is no formal forcing of anything else. It's all done through play. Even when I did Afia's Arabic, we used to, I, I drew cards with all the letters and the harakat, and you should do pairs, and she has to say it and try and do the matching pairs. I used to make it a game in the early bit. Mm. And even with Salah and stuff, yeah, you have to be a bit serious about it, but you can still do it through like interaction and practicality. I guess that brings me to the next question I was going to ask. Can you tell us what you do to create a positive and a balanced learning environment for your children so it becomes more natural? I mean, you've kind of touched on it, Nazim, already. This is, I have to make something that we struggle with. You know, learning is something that I've always loved. Shahid's a big reader. We both be through academia, so it's something that maybe it's come a bit more naturally to us but how do we keep that how do we implement those skills and that love in our kids but at the same time in a very positive and natural way I think um, I don't know how much I can uh, pitch in here but uh, you hear the girls? I know I hear them playing outside <laughs> but uh, I think uh, maybe even taking them along to the to the talks and things as well because we usually do that especially with the isyllabus uh, uh, seminars and things that go on we tend to take them along um, especially Afia because now she, she can understand mm, mm. so so I think uh, even even, t- even even doing that can I mean maybe maybe give them some kind of, some of idea that uh, it's, uh, it's it's good to have education and it's mm, good to be mm. among uh, amongst people who are educated and who are keen on learning and uh, what else? I guess, I guess it's important to find out what they're interested in and then adapt things to, yeah. to, to their kind of liking as and well. And I think the point, Afia loves drawing and colouring in and we haven't stopped that. And even to say, oh, you shouldn't draw faces and this and that. I, she's a child, I've left her. It's about, and that's the thing, when you start mm-hmm. studying sacred knowledge, you, you actually become more lenient in some mm-hmm. ways, mm-hmm. become more strict in other ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and I think that's that thing. And I think they learn that as well and that you, it's not always leniency, it's not always being strict and firm. Uh, and... I often make reference when people, as a couple were asking me, I said, you have almost like you have a, a perimeter and they can do whatever the hell they want in that perimeter. Mm-hmm. But once they, once they cross that perimeter, that's when they know, okay, there's rules in place. Mm-hmm. And it's about implicitly making them aware of what that perimeter is. Okay, you might be explicit in time saying, okay, don't go, don't go here, don't mm-hmm. go there. Mm-hmm. But a lot of it is, again, through just making them aware that you can, you can actually do so much. It's not a case of you can't do things. You mm-hmm. say you can do all this and then you say you can't do that. Mm-hmm. So it's about flipping it and that's what people often say even from a Dalai perspective when it comes to our own deen there's so many things you can't do they say to so I say it's not a case of uh, kind of you can't do Islam regulates as opposed to restricts is how I use it we're not being restricted but Islam regulates what we can do it's not restricting us getting married or having relationships but it regulates how to do it so it's changing how you perceive that situation and I think that's how it comes I mean I remember when my sister was finishing off her PhD. Afia was a small child, and she was going through her papers. She was, I think, she found her like first draft, and she pulled all the papers out. I just leave her, just let her play with them. It's mm-hmm. fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, because at the end of the day, you want them to have a positive experience yeah, with these absolutely, things. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I, I think PhD what, dissertation. <laughs> yeah, a, well, the thing was, I told my sister, I said, "You shouldn't have left it about." <laughs> I, I'm struggling to get one of my boys to start reading their own PhD dissertation, so that's great, mashallah. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm asking that question in all seriousness because today I, I had quite a long, lengthy conversation with my middle 
child who's listening just now, I think. Um, Yusuf's um, 11, Marshall, nearly. And he doesn't like reading. Almost uh, 12. Almost 12. Almost 12. <laughs> and he doesn't like reading. And he's been on the same book for the last two months. And so I, you know, I said to him, right, that's it. Over the, over the next few weeks and over the summer holidays, we're going to make a book list. And I'm going to give you, instead of just leaving it to you, I'm going to say to you, right, you need to finish that book in a week. And then my older child, who actually has a natural love for reading, he said, well, what's the point of that? Because the whole point is you should be enjoying reading and you're going to take the enjoyment out of it. And I kind of thought about it and he's absolutely right, but I thought I'm past that stage of he's not going to enjoy it, so now I need to well, I think, <laughs> come in a bit harder. And that's the thing, they shouldn't be afraid to be firm or they need to be firm because mm. at the end of the day, if your children go off the rails, who's going to be held mm. responsible? Yeah, not absolutely. Joe Bloggs down the street or the absolutely. teacher will be you. Absolutely. So it's about nurturing. And again, that concept of balance, I mean, the simplest thing is like, okay, you pick a book, I'll pick a book kind of thing. Mm. And, and you, 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 that, that, that concept of share, like, they understand you're in charge, but they also have a say. Mm. Shows that you they understand that natural relationship mm. between parent and child, and this is one thing we always have to realize that one of the minor signs in the day of judgment is that is that they say that the slave girl will give birth to the mistress. So the point is that mm. there is going to come a time in Aroma where the children are going to try and dominate the parents, yeah. and if we understand that this is potentially going to happen, then you're obviously going to take steps to try and minimise that happening. Mm. And that's the blessing of our deen, that you can't walk away from it, even in these mm. small things. Yeah, no, even in day-to-day, we need to, you're right, it's about getting that right balance of being strict with them and then giving that leeway. Yeah. Um, I bought a vest, uh, the Malcolm X autobiography, so he actually started reading it with quite a lot of excitement because he just finished the Muhammad Ali autobiography, but he's finding it really difficult to it get is into. that Alex Haley one. Yeah, yeah, so I think the first few chapters, if I remember correctly from when I read it, the first few chapters are quite hard to get into, but mm. it does pick up afterwards. So I keep saying to him, stick at it, stick at it, so inshallah we'll see how he gets on with that. But I might have to just let him pick his own random fantasy, crazy novel. I mean, the other thing as well, he's got an older brother. So he's I'm talking about Aves now. Aves. Yeah. yeah, I think even with Aves is that he'll start realising his time is starting to get less in terms of what he can do, what he wants to do because mm. of the kind of school commitments that naturally come into play. So yeah, he'll automatically prioritise because he obviously sees uh, educated parents, he sees parents who are involved with different things, mm. who have professional degrees. He knows at the end of the day that, that at some point in time he's going to have to make a decision where he goes down this type of path so it'll naturally happen naturally I wouldn't worry yeah, about no, it I, I think you're right but unfortunately I think we're more keenly aware of it because when as kids get older the kids get older there's, a, there's this culture of oh we don't really care you know there's very much that culture prevalent that wasn't so much around when we were younger um, and so it, it d- does become more of a concern I think as kids get into sort of teenage years that's an interesting point that you made and that's something that my parents brought into me very early on was that look you're going to reap. What, you're going to take the fruits of your own labor. You're going to reap what you mm. sow. So if you do well, then you benefit. Yeah. My parents never. And one thing I always remember was, no matter whatever the achievement was, they never said they were proud of us. They said they're grateful to Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. And they never used the word. They did that word proud, being proud parents was something that my father hated. Mm. Even I remember when Imam Abid went to him, oh, you must be very proud of your son at school. I said, no, I'm not proud. I'm grateful to Allah because mm. pride is not something we should have. Mm. Because at any what did he do to, to he didn't, he, Allah blessed him with children and the children, obviously they did their part, but they could be blessed with disabled children or whatever. And my own cousin has Down syndrome, so I fully understand that and how easy it could be. Mm. And also the fact that they never kind of said, oh, you've done, you've done well or whatever. They said, say, Alhamdulillah, they, they reckon that you've done well, be grateful to Allah. Uh, but that doesn't make you a good child in itself they all said you still have to be good in this this and this as well and I think that was very important because as you start having more achievements 
the satisfaction of the achievement itself was enough. You didn't need anybody to give your partner back. And that's so important when you get into the adult learning and we get to competitive working and professional environment, particularly in our profession, because it's all about survival of the fittest. So if you're constantly needing a pat on the back and you don't get it, you're going to struggle. Yeah. Hey, how about um, extracurricular activities? Your kids do this stuff after school? Um, other sort of like, I don't know, hobbies or, or sports or... Yeah, so Alhamdulillah, Afia is uh, into her swimming, so she's in uh, level five. Yeah, level five of eight. At the moment, so she's doing pretty well in that. What and does that uh, mean? Is that like, is that like six different strokes? <laughs> so she's in the big pool now, basically. <laughs> oh, OK. Well, uh, and that was one thing, because obviously the girls and the Yeah, you want to do it early so, as well. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And she loves it. She She's taken to the swimming, and that, that's, that's her highlight of her sporting week, if you like. Yeah, and uh, obviously from the school as well, they do have some... Uh, just uh, a few weeks at a time they have tennis and they have uh, other sports so whenever those come around she tries to participate but this time around she couldn't because of the clashing, clashing with her swimming lessons but she is doing the cooking club and oh, uh, nice. she she is really enjoying that as well and she's made fruit kebabs and uh, okay. oh, uh, brilliant. cupcake and uh, uh, what was the last thing the potato salad potato salad, salad yeah. nice. and, and, and she helps out in the kitchen yesterday we had our my siblings had come up from down south and my mum had come over for iftar so she helped me prepare the salad mm. uh, nice. and, and, and Lovra was like oh you didn't cut it into kind of like like kind of went into yeah, it quarters <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was cut into this and it's fine just leave it then it's going to the stomach anyway it's iftar nobody has time to worry about how our it boys looks. do that our boys have the, the fruit chat and they, they alternate they take turns yeah. oh that's really nice yeah. the other thing as well we've moved house and the, the area we moved to is much quieter uh, in terms of like safety and things and um, Salim Ali and, uh, has moved around the corner and I'm Ali's brother and the kids are similar age so Afia's now taking her bike herself and going out she's a bit apprehensive because the bike was quite heavy but because they're on their bike she went on her bike in fact she had a fall today and uh, Afia Iman came around and she goes oh, um, uh, uh, Didi's fallen Didi's fallen so I went and I had a look and she was okay I mean, one thing I realised when somebody has an accident like that is you don't give them extra attention I mean as a doctor you can usually gauge things mm, you, don't you, you, kinda, it, yeah. you almost play it down yeah. and I said to Afia I asked Afia the road okay you haven't broken the road have you <laughs> Uh, and in that way, that took about fifty percent anxiety. Away. We've cleaned her up, and that was it. She's she's out playing now, as you can hear. Very much so. Yeah, no, it's, I think that's that's really important. Don't don't over exaggerate and do that. <gasps> My poor baby thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you're that. not you're not playing enough. You don't get hurt, as well. I say. I'm definitely for that. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, we've been told that we only have four minutes left. Can you believe? I thought we had more time. I've got more questions to ask you guys. So actually, what I'm going to do is, um, both of you, I'll ask Lubna first to a. Uh, Tell me what your future dreams and aspirations are for your children and for you as a family unit so you can take in the 0.8 child into consideration <laughs> here as well. So specifically, what's your dreams and aspirations for your children and as a family over the next few handful of years? And, you know, just whatever, as crazy as the dream may be. Uh, what, what, I mean, what, to be what, honest, I haven't really, um, like, you know, just take it by day to day and... Uh, really planned so far especially with regards to the children uh, but obviously we always hope for them that you know they'll be inshallah good Muslims and uh, you know make us, make us I mean not like proud in the sense that you know positively that uh, they they take the deen forward and uh, be an example sure. a good example for their peers I think which is the most important thing at the end of the day because obviously, <clears throat> excuse me, the education part of it is taken care of, but it is the dean part of it. I always, I always worry more uh, because, especially in living in the community, in the non-Muslim community, and you know, having that Western influence all around you, uh, there's uh, there's probability for them to, you know, uh, have that. 
influence or uh, trying to keep them right and um, making them making dua for them that uh, you stay mm. on the right path all the time inshallah Inshallah. I have to say, actually, from spending time with your kids um, in Umrah, Mashallah, you know, it's clear they've been given great tarbiyah. Mashallah. Mashallah yeah, they're they're very well behaved, but they were also very sort of um, happy and outgoing and, mm. and lively. Very confident. And they're confident, mm. yeah. Mm. And mm. even the little one, uh, Mashallah, that's what I'm saying. And it's like, um, Alhamdulillah, I, I definitely think you, you guys are doing a good job in that. Mashallah, front. definitely. I think when it comes to the deen, and it's something that I've been a lot more aware of, someone said to me, Yes, of course, we need to teach them the basic five pillars and their, you know, how to pray. But if you imp- implement in them the love of the Prophet and they have that love exactly. in their heart, even if they waver, they will always come back because that's what will ground them. Definitely. And that's really, and the only way they learn that is through us, obviously, through our dhikr, through us talking Definitely, about yeah. our Prophet yeah. and making an environment yeah. where we're remembering the Prophet you know, kind of in a day-to-day, day-to-day life. Definitely. What about you, Nazim? What was your, what your dreams and aspirations? Just for uh, kind of touching on that point that you said about that love of the Prophet. So that's why I got, remember I gave him all tasbihs as a present. Mm, you did. One thing I try and do is that you try and join the dunya and the deen at every point in time. They shouldn't be seen as two separate things. They should be synonymous. Whether it's deen or dunya, it doesn't matter. Your behavior is the same in the situation. Uh, and because then I can ask them, okay, what they could have you done with it? It's, it's a natural way of discussion afterwards. You don't have to formalize things. In terms of my, my aspirations, at the end of the day, as Lubna's touched upon it, it's all about them being good Muslims at the end of the day. And I, I don't worry about their dunya. I don't worry about it because in, the dunya is there to be taken. Everybody gets a dunya, whether Muslim, not Muslim, whether they want it or not. That Allah is the provider. Uh, and that's one thing I've told Afia. I said, look, your job is to make your intention please Allah be a good person and try your best whatever happens don't worry about it as long as you've tried your best and one thing that's the emphasis I put the effort should be 110% mm, absolutely, absolutely not 90 not 99 110 yeah, yeah. that's what's going to bring you uh, make you successful and she sees because she said oh are well, you giving a talk and she likes she likes to see what I get up to and mm. she likes that thing because she sees okay daddy's doing all these things mm. uh, but at the same time she knows that salah time is salah time and she doesn't think twice mm. when it comes to when it comes to that uh, uh, side of things T- Touching on what you just said about um, oh, what did you say yeah, about taking them along to for the lectures mm. I think that's a great way of them learning for when they see us going to lectures as the audience or even giving the, t- the yeah. talk and uh, when I, I recently did a talk on feminism and OS wanted to come along to it so that's you know it's like they're learning in, at every opportunity well, it's day to day you take the opportunities and you make them into learning experiences yes, for that, them That is from the sunnah at the end of the day we don't so they, they see us in all environments and wherever it's possible you try and do obviously some situations don't permit it and then the final thing was that I've always been a big believer the concept of zuhud or, or being zahid in that let the hand be full of the dunya let it have as much as you want but the heart should only be attached to Allah and not to it so you have it you enjoy it if you don't have it you don't miss it okay. and in that way hopefully inshallah they get that balance uh, which is what we're always talking about Jazakallah for that. Thank you to both our guests today, Nazam and Lubnagar. That was a really interesting discussion. I learned lo- lots, lots from you, and even just being with you I, and spending time with you guys, you know, as parents, I've, I've been picking up secret points. I think that's really important I, when we have other friends that are parents that we learn from each other and take techniques and tips from each other. And so, uh, you know, as parents, we're, we're always improving. And parenting isn't something that's static. You know, we, we're not giving our book and saying this is the, the way to parent. It's something that's flexible and fluid, and we're constantly learning as well as teaching our kids and the best balance I think is things that you've already touched on is making everyday experiences a learning environment so take them in the kitchen, take them with you at work and make everything a learning environment but 
make it fun inshallah so jazakallah for your time and I'm going to say assalamu alaikum for myself and and assalamu alaikum for me too jazakallah khair jazakallah khair for having us pleasure great show alaikum For more information and to listen to more podcasts, visit us at arc.score or check out the Arc Media app.